Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Kalee Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. Later in the show, the first ever Live Music Friday guest reappears. Peter Mulvey swings through the studio once again. Be joined by the crumbling beauties at the parlor room tonight in Northampton. He'll join us in the studio later this hour. And have you ever wanted to try old wine, like really old wine? Our Franklin County wine friend and sommelier Ken Washburn pulls out a 1947 Rioja Reserva for us to pit against the Rioja from this century for the wine Thunderdome. That wine is literally older than my parents. Mine too. Plus, Monday is MLK Day with festivities and observances going on all weekend up to the holiday, which this year happens to be on his actual birthday. So let's head down the road to the N- from the NEPAM studios to Symphony Hall to see how the Springfield Symphony Orchestra is getting ready to celebrate. Favorite video game? Is that what you just said? Yeah, he's, he's an <laughs> avid. Uh, he has the highest and most modern PlayStation and Xbox. Oh, cool. <laughs> when he's not playing piano, he's playing video games? No. There's nothing wrong with it. No. I mean, if you play piano, I then you've got Xbox the fingers. Police, we made it. I know. We're at Symphony Hall. Oh my God. We didn't even have to practice, practice, practice to get here. We just walked down the street from the UPM studios. I mean, I practice anyway, but. Yeah, we are on the stage of Symphony Hall in Springfield because tomorrow there's a really fun event that is going to celebrate the life and legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. Musically, Classics and Jazz, an MLK Jr. celebration here at Symphony Hall. What's your name, sir? I'm Paul Lambert. I'm the president of the uh, Springfield Symphony Orchestra. You're the new-ish president. I think new-ish. almost a year, right? A little, exactly right. Uh-huh. Just like yeah. Us. yeah, just like us. So exactly. we're the new-ish hosts we'll at, at any at the same time. I know, that's yeah. great. Tell me about what's been exciting in this first year here at Symphony Hall for you. We've been coming back from such a, a, a challenging time after the pandemic, really rebuilding our connections with our community, with our donors, with our sponsors, with our audience audience, with our musicians, all of us together, rebuilding on the fly is what we've been trying to do, mm. bringing new, diverse musical offerings together uh, to really reach, we hope, new audiences, younger audiences, folks who might have never come to hear a Springfield Symphony Orchestra concert before. It's really been thrilling to work with, first, the unbelievable talent of our orchestra, but also these remarkable guest artists and, and special guest conductors coming in to play with us. I'm just blown away by the talent, and I'm so thrilled to have them come into this beautiful theater to listen to such wonderful music at a time when the world is so damn sad. I hope that we all get together and listen to some beautiful music. I love it. One of those guest conductors is with us right now. What's your name? Damien Sneed. Where are you coming from, Damien? I'm coming from New York City. Is this production your baby? The classics and jazz? Yes. It was amazingly pleasant that the Springfield Symphony allowed me to put this program together of repertoire. That was an an amazing opportunity and my mentor, Winston Marsalis, actually suggested one of the pieces that we're going to be performing. Which one? William Grant Still's Yamacraw, which is uh, composed by James P. Johnson for jazz piano. And before William Grant Still, the Dean of African American Music, uh, composed his famous, well-known Afro-American Symphony, he actually composed this in 1934 performance at Carnegie Hall. That's amazing. Tell me about your relationship to Wynton Marsalis. That's a very familiar name to lots of people. I met Wynton when I was in eighth grade, and he changed my life because at 89, we have 88 and 89, he won uh, two Grammy Awards in two different genres of music. People think musicians have to stay in a box. That's why this concert is classics and jazz. Mm. He was uh, Grammy Artist of the Year in classical music and in jazz music. I met him in eighth grade, uh, then had a chance to conduct his Abyssinian Mass later on, and he's like a big brother to me. He's like family, and he's a mentor. He's always pushing me to compose. He's always pushing me to deal with out 
outreach, education, fundraising, but most importantly, making sure that I'm on top of my game musically, no matter what the genre is, because his mentor, Duke Ellington, who I composed a piece, an homage to, a uh, symphonic homage to the Duke, Duke Ellington. Duke Ellington said, there's really no bad music, if I'm paraphrasing. All music is good music, of course, if it's performed well. So that's what's going to be exciting about these great musicians that are... And you're going to be performing that piece on Saturday as well, right? Yes, yes, with this symphony, with the rhythm section infused in it. And then we have some amazing soloists that I met uh, from my teaching time at Manhattan School of Music and Juilliard. They are incredible. Mm. Why don't you introduce us to some of the musicians that are here with you, Conductor Damien's. So, there are two musicians performing as soloists. What's interesting, uh, Yamacraw was recorded by a very phenomenal pianist who happened to be this guest artist's teacher ah. before he moved to New York City. He is amazing. He's also doing work at Juilliard and he's teaching in New York City. Uh, he's a name that everybody should know, a household name. His name is Jason Flowers II. Jason Flowers, tell us about the piece and your mentor. My first mentor, Dr. Paul Shaw. He actually performed this piece earlier as part of a competition that he won. And so he's been working with me a lot on this concerto as well. And he's been working with me on some different scores and editing and things like that. This piece is great because it has so many different characteristics within it. And I'm very excited to play it. I'm very excited to work with Damien, having him conduct this piece. And it's going to be wonderful. We were kind of joking before we officially got going here that you are also a gamer. How many hours a day do you practice piano? How many hours a day do you play video games? <laughs> the question is unfair. Okay. <laughs> On a general, in general. Yeah, I agree, the question is unfair. <laughs> <laughs> what's your name? My name is Mebrak Horton Johnson. And what's your role here uh, at this Classics and Jazz performance happening in honor of MLK this Saturday at Symphony Hall in Springfield? So I'm absolutely thrilled to be the clarinet soloist for this concert. Um, I'll be playing David Baker's Jazz Suite for Clarinet and Orchestra, Three Ethnic Dances. And it's such an exciting piece of music. It's really theatrical and it really draws your imagination. Damien Snee, the conductor. I'd love to say this about uh, Mabrock. Mabrock hails from the UK, from Great Britain, where he uh, attended and graduated from the Royal College of Music. And now he's at Juilliard studying with my friend, Anthony McGill, the principal clarinetist of the New York Philharmonic. And he is brilliant because not only does he play B-flat clarinet, but he plays all the clarinets, E-flat, A, B-flat, tenor, bass clarinet, and he plays flute, and he plays all the saxophone, soprano, alto, tenor, baritone. Wow. So he's a polyglot. Was it hard moving from a reeded instrument to a non-reeded instrument? Because I think the only one you mentioned without a reed is, is flute. Everything else you play has reeds in it. Oh, yeah. Making a sound on the flute was a nightmare at first. <laughs> uh, I just sounded so airy. I was like, what is this instrument? Why is it so fluffy? Like, why, why do I not sound pure and smooth on it? But through practice, it became more natural to me. Saxophone and and flute have practically the same fingerings, um, and then saxophone and clarinet have practically the same embouchure technique, how you use the mouthpiece. The, the, the one that's most different, I guess, is oboe, because it's a double reed and it's so small. So that was quite tough too to... Well, you play that too. Oh yes, uh, oboe and chord. <laughs> <laughs> Funnily enough, I actually played it for um, West Side Story. That was the first time I played it. I, I lied and I said that I can play the oboe and chord play, and I borrowed one. But it, it actually went well. <laughs> I, yeah, I figured it out in time, so it was great. Ridiculous. <laughs> if it's got to read, you can read it. So I'm excited because I think we're going to get an opportunity to see these blossoming geniuses uh, before they're packing out sold-out concerts all over Europe and around the world. So remember their names. 
What are some of the more interesting and then challenging things about blending a program that has symphonic, symphonic jazz and straight jazz pieces? The difficulty is that these pieces are not performed often. Nowadays, people like to listen to recordings, but we're going to make our own performance unique and individual. Our tempi, the tempos, in plural will be a lot different because we have artists who still play out of their heart and out of their soul. So the difficulty is that this is not music that you can just know because it's not really out there a lot. Uh, some of the published pieces were difficult to get uh, and we had to wait. And so it's amazing because all the musicians, not just the solo artists, we really all have to use our training and combine our spirits to really try to bring this to the highest level because it's not something that is really known or that we know the full performance practice style, so to speak, of. So that's what's difficult about it. And it's all these different genres, but it's American. Mm. American music is everything. It's pop, it's jazz, it's blues, it's, it's gospel, it's rhythm and blues, it's country, it's zydeco, you know, it's folk music, it's classical. This it's is rap. exciting. Ice it's Cube rap. is coming to the Basketball Hall of Fame this weekend. So we got to say that too. One never knows. Do one. <laughs> it's hip hop. It's yeah. it's all of that, and this program incorporates all those rhythms and uh, motifs and themes and colors and harmonies. I'm excited. This has never been done before. I don't think anywhere. And this highlights, again, the, the depth and the talent of our, our orchestra. Beth Welty, who is here, one of our longtime musicians. They have the ability to absorb and play so many different genres of music brilliantly just to get together and listen to some beautiful music for a while. American music, in this case, is just a, such a gift to this community. Well, let's talk to Beth Welty from Springfield Symphony Orchestra, the hometown representative here. How long have you been with the orchestra? Uh, 40 years. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> yes, I have a plaque to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> and you play your violin? I'm a violinist, uh -huh. yes. And can I just say, I studied with Dave Baker when I was at IU. Um, I was a classical major, but he offered a jazz improv course for non-majors. So I got to work with him for a semester. He was amazing. I love that guy so much. And so I'm really excited we're doing a piece of his. How hard is it for you to, to morph between these different genres? Um, because did you start? I'm imagining this didn't happen maybe as much 40 years ago when you started. Not, not as much. No, I'm really I'm delighted that this has become like part of our mission. Like it's getting more and more, and I'm really thrilled with it. Um, as long as stuff's written down, I can do it. So um, that's what I learned from Dave how hard it is to improvise well. So if it's written down, I can do it. This is in honor and celebration of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It's we're talking about sort of the the breadth and depth of the American musical canon. He's one of the most pivotal figures in American history. How does that inform what you'll be performing Saturday night here at Springfield Symphony Hall, Maestro Damien Sneed? One of my favorite composers, American composers, is the female composer, Margaret Bonds, African-American. I selected her Montgomery Variations, which deal with the Montgomery Boycott, because I thought it would be very prescient and apropos to have that piece. And it's based on the spiritual, uh, I want Jesus to walk with me, which was a part of the songs that became freedom songs, civil rights songs in our country's history, uh, where people used music to help them deal with uh, adversity and issues. And that's what music is, it's a universal language. So we have like a piece of history sort of infused as well in this programming that we're bringing to life here in this beautiful, beautiful hall. Mm. But not just that, like both of the more traditional 
for lack of better term, pieces that you have in the first half of the program are written by women, which is not just saying a lot for like gender equality, but like racial equality too. You've got two black women writing symphonic pieces that are leading. Was that intentional too? That was very intentional. I love giving voice to those who don't have a voice. We just commemorated 400 years of the enslaved coming to America, 1619, 2019. We commemorated 100 years of the uh, Harlem Renaissance, the nexus of African-American creativity uh, in Harlem, New York City, but also we commemorated women's rights, suffrage, women having a right to vote, having a place. And uh, we're moving there uh, as a country globally, as, as a, a world, but I think we still need more room for people who are not uh, identifying as male, uh, for those who identify as female, to give them an opportunity to have a say, to have a place, to be able to have their voice felt and heard. And that's why I selected Florence Price, our colonial dance, her concert overture number one, based on the spiritual center, Please Don't Let This Harvest Pass, and Margaret Bonds as well. What we do is very intentionally planned. Planning out a season of this, balancing so many different genres of music, different kinds of music. As you know, we live in, you guys really know, you've walked it. We are blessed to live in a very diverse community of communities, you know, and we're really trying hard as we rebuild the Springfield Symphony Orchestra flying along every day to try to reach out to all those communities in different ways with different traditions of music, different approaches to the wonderful music that exists all over the world, as Damien mentioned, crosses all language, all cultures, all, all barriers, and bringing people together in downtown Springfield for a wonderful time. It's kind of our mission, what we have to do. Did everybody watch Maestro? What did you think? Oh, I enjoyed it very much. I, I was really moved by the, the Mrs. Bernstein story. And I did, I was telling Damien this, I saw Mr. Bernstein conduct when I was young, younger, much younger person, uh, and I was very moved. Did Bradley Cooper like... get it right for, from a maestro's, maestro's perspective, Damien Seed? <laughs> Lips are sealed! I know there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of talk about this. No, but Damien and I talked about this morning, again, that Mr. Bernstein went through this earlier version of trying to people force him into a box. You do Broadway, you shouldn't do Broadway. You're a classical conductor, you shouldn't do that. Trying to force him to do one genre of music. And Leonard Bernstein was one of the greatest uh, American icons. I think he encapsulated American fire, uh, life, creativity, expression. Uh, his compositions like the Chichester Psalms and West Side Story and how he could also conduct the Rite of Spring. I mean, he really was one of the staple quintessential conductors of, of, of that music. And even Beethoven, uh, Verdi Requiem and his stature, his electrifying energy that you could feel. I didn't get a chance to ever see him, but I've had a chance to speak with people and, and work closely with Harold Blackwell, who sang in the revival of West Side Story, and they would share stories with me about just how he was just a figure, but he was very approachable to everyone. And there's great videos on YouTube of him at Tanglewood, yeah. uh, and some of the musicians uh, having their comment, their say back and forth with him. And there are musicians in this orchestra that have worked with him. Wow. Not I haven't, but there are there are a couple of us who, who it, were at Tanglewood when they were in college and got to work with him and ev to a person everybody said it was electrifying just amazing to work with him to the two guest performers how are you fitting this into your schedule there's you're still learning you're still te you're teaching and you're still learning at the same time these sorts of performances out of the area that you're now calling home how do you manage to fit these in and how important is it for you to take these guest spots 
So yes, as Damien mentioned earlier, I teach full-time um, in the South Bronx. I teach um, in the public schools, middle schools. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, Are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I'm great. This is why we're not allowed to ask how much you play video games. <laughs> it's a little relief. Oh, yeah. But I also do after school. Uh, every day I, I do not only music after school, I do English and I do math as well. Whoa. So after 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 school, I practice um, every day at Juilliard, as Damien said. I'm also doing a program there and now Damien's also faculty at Juilliard as well. Yeah, I always make sure that I have time for both teaching and performance. I don't necessarily compromise on either aspects. What about you? I'm so grateful for this opportunity. I have heard, I actually heard this piece before Damien um, asked me to play it. I, I didn't think I would get the opportunity to actually have it programmed, so I'm thrilled to be playing it. Fitting it into my schedule has been really hard. To get the music, I think it took nine weeks and then Yes, I had to learn it in quite a short <laughs> space of time. Juggling it with my masters at Juilliard and all of the requirements that there are has been quite tough, but it's been really fun and enriching. I'm also a fellow um, with the, we have a Morse Fellowship, so I also go into schools in Harlem and I am teaching uh, music and instruments to the students there and I'm hoping to add something to the community. Beth also teaches, I mean, when you're going through the list of folks who are teachers, she's also a remarkable teacher. So many of our folks are very giving back to the community. Where do you teach, Beth? I live in Boston, so I come out, I commute out here. Um, I teach up in Nashua, New Hampshire. It's a program called Upbeat New Hampshire, and it's wonderful. The United Way administers it, and we give free lessons to kids that cannot afford, could not afford them otherwise. The instrument is provided, the books are provided, and uh, it's an after-school program. I work with like eight through 10-year-olds, so they're a little wild but it's great and we do we do concerts with them and um I, I love it and I've been doing it for about eight years. Beth is this the only orchestra that you're a part of or are you in other orchestras? Uh, I play in a bunch of orchestras this is the whole freelance circuit yes. you know yeah. <laughs> so yeah. There's a special importance to smaller orchestras. Can you speak on that just a little bit? Not necessarily the difficulties of it, but just like for an arts community, having an orchestra and what that can mean. Paul Lambert, the president and CEO of the Springfield Symphony Orchestra here in Symphony Hall in Springfield. I come from a very different background. I spent the last 30 years of my life in basketball, working for the NBA and working at the Basketball Hall of Fame, but always loving classical music and music in general, performing arts. I got a call from some nice folks at the symphony saying, could you come on and help. It was going through a difficult time, and I kind of jumped in because I think it's really critically important that we have this gift. You know, in 2023, the fact that Springfield, Massachusetts has a symphony orchestra is a great gift to all of us. It's kind of a miracle. You know, and I think we have to do everything we collectively can to not just celebrate that, but build a sustainable future for this wonderful orchestra. I think it's critically important. And the fact is we have this remarkable talent, not just in our orchestra, but these folks who come to us as guests all the time. I just can't believe that we get to do this, you know, and that it comes to our beautiful city. Uh, I think it's really important. Damien Sneed, the conductor for Saturday night's program? The Springfield Symphony Orchestra may be considered not large because of its region, but this is a large orchestra. I think we have 74 musicians. I have uh, conducted orchestras this size, but this is fairly large. And some orchestras that are tier two have smaller a smaller number of musicians and instrumentalists. And I must say for this particular concert, they've even added additional musicians. So this is pretty large. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's going to be a full stage. Full stage, yeah. <laughs> it's Saturday night. It's classics and jazz. It's right here at Springfield Symphony Hall in Springfield. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Shout out to Greg Jones. He's putting all the stands up and microphones over there. Oh, Best stage manager in the business. Seriously. <laughs> y'all are in good hands. 
Later in the show, Peter Mulvey gets warmed up for his show at the Parlor Room in Northampton tonight by being our guest for Live Music Friday. And next, we get to try a wine that is nearly twice our age and one that is significantly younger than that. Two Riojas enter, one Rioja leaves. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. We are just a few days into the new year. Out with the old and in with the new. And that is gonna be the theme of the Wine Thunderdome today. We are tasting with our Franklin County wine correspondent, Ken Washburn, who is the wine buyer and manager of the Leverett Village Co-op. But because the weather and the roads have been so crappy, we decided not to brave Rattlesnake Gutter, which is all sorts of news about whether what to do with that road in the local papers. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah, you wanna give what us is... a little rundown about what's going on with that? Or oh you no, I'm not way in. Well, I was gonna say I'm not a Leverett resident, so. Yeah. I do like walking down to the bridge without lots of cars coming by. Oh, I will say that. Some people think it should be a car road, and some people think it should be a pedestrian type it's road. It's a really popular spot for hikers, bird watchers, people with dogs, yeah. etc. You haven't been able to drive on it since the 90s. See, this well, is where all the, the Leverett people are gonna, all the Leverett people are going to be coming out, and they're going to be like, you're wrong. There's been a debate whether or not it should be reopened to um, vehicle traffic. Yeah. Uh, is this connected with the possible development at the old Yankee Candle dude's house because I feel like with more residents, you might need more roads. I don't actually think it's connected. Good thinking, though. But that's all of the hot goss for Leverett right now. That being said, Leverett can be hard to navigate, especially if Khalees is coming from Springfield. My car is also absolute garbage. (laughs) And since Ken lives in downtown Turner's, and so do I, we decided we would do our wine tasting in the green room of the Shea Theater. Full disclosure, nonprofit, community-owned theater owned by the town of Montague. I'm the president of the board. I make zero dollars off it, but I know the code to get in so we can drink wine during the daytime in the green room. Yay. Membership has its privileges. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. We, I said the premise of this wine, Thunderdome, was out with the old and in with the new. And Ken, you, we've talked about this particular bottle that you have here since we first really sat down to talk about wine for an article I did for the Valley Advocate. Oh yeah, that's true. So um, one of the wines we have today is a bottle of wine from 1947. Holy, this will officially be the oldest wine I've ever tasted, I believe. Yeah, me too. I think I had I had one, it, they came in a pair, and I had, I think, the other one 10 years ago, and it was in 1948. Uh-huh, and how was it 10 years ago? Um, I appreciated it. <laughs> that, that was also a face. I opened it at a Christmas dinner with a bunch of sort of non-wine people, and um, I would say that there was sort of a musty raisin situation going on with it, but it wasn't bad. You know, it wasn't like pour it down the drain. This is the oldest non-fortified wine I've had. What type of wine is this 1947 wine that we have here? So this is the Marquez de Rascal Reserva. It is from actually the oldest winery in Rioja, or at least they've been bottling Rioja for the longest. It was actually the first non-French wine to win the Bordeaux Exposition. There's actually a beautiful label on the bottle that kind of shows that off. And if you don't know, Rioja, it's from Spain. So yes, Spain. sorry, yes, for the lay people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Reserva means that it needs to be aged three years before release. Um, at least one of those years is usually an American oak. Because this wine is from 1947, I actually don't know what they were doing back then. Yeah. I don't know if regulations have changed. This is going to be almost entirely Tempranillo with a little bit of Graciano. Oh. That's red for those who can't see. Yes, this bottle is amazingly old looking. It's really old. Yeah. The 
ullage, the like level of the wine in the bottle is definitely like two inches lower than it's supposed to be. Which means there's probably some air that got in there. Absolutely. Which means that's probably not great for the wine. Probably not. And um, <laughs> I'm anticipating a lot of sediment. Uh, Which is why I brought a tea strainer from home. So, the, Professora, if your tea tastes like Rioja tomorrow morning, now you'll know why. The back label, however, is like brand new. When did you get this? So that's, yeah, that's actually, that's an importer's label. I picked up this wine when I was working as the wine buyer at a store called The Spanish Table in Berkeley, California. Shout out to them. There was a restaurant in the Basque country that was closing and liquidating their cellar. So we got this at a pretty good price. We got a bunch of old stuff. And the way that I came by it is that my mother, who's a little bit of a history nerd and um, a bit of an odd duck in general in such a loving way, she has not had alcohol since the 80s, but she said, do you have any bottles of wine that Ernest Hemingway could have had? Wow. So I did some Googling because I didn't have that information ready at hand. Uh. And... Um, he was there in the late 40s, so I said, I have these two. I had a 1948. I sent them to her in Texas. I packed up the box. I shipped it and everything. And then um, a year later, she turned around and gave them to me. Aww. I was like, I didn't really need to ship those to Texas. But, um, <laughs> you know, they always say that if you have a really special bottle of wine, you should just drink it. Definitely did not do that on this one. <laughs> And like I was saying to Monty a little bit before we started rolling is I think this probably should have been drunk in the 80s before I was born. That's the old 1947 Rioja from Spain. And then we're going to contrast that with something a lot more contemporary. So much more contemporary. So this is Cune. Um, It used to be C-V-N-E, which I think is, what does it stand for? Compania Vinicola del Norte de España. But an error in some sort of printing uh, changed the V to a U, so it's been called Cune ever since. Um, they've been making wine since 1879, and they've released a Crianza every single year since then. And Crianza, it's just another one of Rioja's aging requirements. We had one of their wines at State Street, one of their, their other ones for their big red Yeah, thing. we did, and that was a Reserva. And yeah. um, it's a great maker. They make great stuff. And Crianzas, compared to Reservas, oftentimes feel younger and more light and more refreshing, totally. more like cola-y and stuff. So this is really like a baby uh, Rioja versus the oldest old man Rioja you could possibly imagine. <laughs> now you could, we could have, I could have found an even more old man one, which would have been a Grand Reserva, which oh, yeah. I think is five years uh-huh. aged before it's released. But could you find a Grand Reserva from 1947? Not in 2024. All right, Ken Washburn, the uh, wine buyer and manager of the Levert Village Co-op here in the Shea Theater green room, where we are tasting one very old Spanish Rioja and one only slightly older Spanish Cune, which is available at the Levert Village Co-op. Yes, Obviously, the older one is not. You're, you get to open it because oh, you are a sommelier, <laughs> and I just have a wine key in my pocket. That seems to never matter when I'm opening something for y'all. Let's we, see. We've already said that this is going to be a tough one to open. Do you mind if, if you I can, film it? if you can open it at all, I'm going to be impressed. Well, the foil is already sort of it's wanting to come right on. away. Yeah. Oh man, that is. Brody. Yeah, oh, this is going to wow. be a challenge. We might as well just take a butter knife and push it in. No matter how bad this is, we have to drink <gasps> a little bit of it. it and we did it! It went in. The cork went all the way in, <laughs> and that is why the tea strainer is here. I'm I not c- sure. I think, it's, I think it totally stayed intact. Wow, cool. That might be even a better sign, because if some of the cork underneath the rot part was intact... It looked intact underneath, like it, sw- it had swollen so much. Like, ow. Yeah. I should have flicked it. 
decanted this. I'm doing everything wrong. No, so. I don't think you should have because when it's so old, the only old wines I've had have been from the 50s and they had exactly about one minute of goodness on them and then they oh faded away. The color on so this is so pretty. All right, hurry up, y'all. Yeah, but look at the color is still so red and even the brown ring that often indicates old wine around the edges is not that prominent. I, it doesn't smell like vinegar on the nose either. It smells like a real wine, uh, but it smells old like newspapers yeah. a little bit. So it could be corked, like, but could be old. I always get those confused. Like super raisiny, like. It's so raisiny. So raisiny. It does smell old, just old, like yeah. capital yeah. O. Yeah. But, but it, it smelled for one second, it smelled like real wine and then started to smell old. Now it continues to just smell old. <laughs> it almost smells like port to me in a yeah, way. Yeah, it you really know, does smell like port. Oh my God, I'm so nervous. You gotta drink it. It's terrible. <laughs> it's better than I thought it was gonna yeah, be. Yeah, <laughs> it is way better than I thought it was gonna be. It tastes like metal. That is so bad. I don't even think we need to open the other one. I know who won. That well, tastes like pennies. Yeah, yeah. A, a lot I of do. metal pennies, yeah. yeah. It falls off really early, but then that pennies thing is still there. <laughs> like there's no back end to it. Are we in danger? No, I don't think you're in danger. <laughs> I say confidently. <laughs> Dr. Monty, yeah. Um, well, my favorite thing about it is the color and the bottle. Yeah, yeah and the color is really uh, remarkably still vibrant. I actually so kind of like how old it smells. Yeah, it smells like an old basement, which yeah. is kind of what we're in right now in the Shea. The Shea's basement is older than this wine, so. <laughs> yeah, the color's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. I'm holding it up in front of some white paper. It's like this. Deep garnet. It's really, really nice. Yeah. I was really worried it was just gonna taste like vinegar. And in that respect, I feel like it's done okay. Yeah. <laughs> One more sniff. And now the sniffing smells not only like old, but pennies as well. Wow, it's amazing how fast it changes. Yeah. And still tastes like red cherry pennies. Yeah. Like if cherries didn't taste like fruit at all. All right, I'm dumping it. This is the first time I've dumped out one of our wines so in the entire, the first. in the entire, we knew what to expect. When you drink a wine from 1947 that should have been drunk like 40 years ago now practically. Yeah. yeah. I will say that the, um, the 48 that I had 10 years ago was much more drinkable than this. Uh -huh. Yeah. So I waited a little too long. I was just waiting for the right occasion, which is definitely on the radio with my wine pals. I love that. I really feel honored. Thank you. Well, should we drink the one that we think is probably pretty good and yet yes. and also available? All right, 2019. The Cune, or the CVNE formerly, we tasted the Reserva when I think it was maybe even a Grand Reserva at State Street. And uh, now we got the Crianza, which is the baby version of this same Rioja with Tempranillo. And I love Crianzas because A, they're usually more affordable, and B, they're fun. Yeah, they are fun. They are fun. Fresh and light. We probably should have done a rinse, but that's I don't all right. Know, I don't really believe in rinses, honestly. Really? Mm -mm. Why not? Um, I have no nothing to back that up with whatsoever. <laughs> Just uh, opinion. Yeah. This is very light, light and fresh. Though I'm having trouble getting the like memory of the pennies. See, that's what the rinse comes in for. It's either the memory of the pennies or there was enough pennies in the glass <laughs> still really? that it's it, it, like on the nose of this after the other one, this immediately smelled like candy. <laughs> oh, that's true. I mean, yeah, definitely a lot more fruit on the nose, Absolutely. but the, on the palate is where I'm getting the pennies again. Really? Rioja, I always get sort of like a stewed cherry and I get leather, like mm -hmm. saddle leather. Yeah. That's classic. For me. Yeah. I quite like Crianza. I quite like Rioja in general. So easy. And this Cune mm -hmm. is a, a reputable maker. That is a firm wine. Yeah. 
What's exciting happening at the Leverett Village Co-op? Ken Washburn, who's the manager there and the wine buyer, sommelier, and our favorite Franklin County wine person to drink with in this Thunderdome. Wow, so flattered. Um, <laughs> things at the Leverett Co-op. Two exciting things. We were in the middle of a fundraising period in which we had um, a $15,000 challenge grant from four community members. And um, as of maybe a couple weeks ago, we met the challenge grant. So Yeah. 30k total love it bringing some stability in the new year and another great thing love this so much is that um we partnered with the franklin community co-op greenfields market and we are now selling their prepared foods oh wow and they have good love it yeah they're amazing they're amazing we went and met with them and they were so nice and it's just the response has been overwhelming and everything's delicious and so that's very exciting for us yeah the collaboration amongst co-ops is inspiring to me because i know like the the river valley collaborates with greenfield Greenfield collaborates with Leverett. It's one of the principles of cooperatives. We even have it on a little poster. I, one would assume that it would happen considering it's part of your name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, it's in, in a world in which businesses are, like, competition is such a thing, I think it's really lovely and refreshing that you can just reach out and be like, hey, like, help us out. We help you out, et cetera. Are we going to vote on this wine, Thunderdome? <laughs> I don't think we're we need to vote. We're not voting on this wine. I mean, it's There's... not fair. Like, if these were both current vintages... Or even if this one was 40 years younger than it is instead of 76 years old. If we drank this around like 2000, we'd probably like it a lot. Yeah, I would have been 10, but yeah. I'm going to vote for the old 1947 Rioja because, come on, not because I like it more, but because the experience of it and having tasted a wine that is so old, the experience of like the history of it, the cork, is it going to be totally like vinegar? Like all of that. That's what I love about wine, the experience. It's not always about just the taste. So if I had to vote today, I would vote for the experience of the 1947 Rioja Grand Reserve. I mean, is it not always just about the taste? Isn't this what, like, is at the crux of, like, the the revitalization of people getting into wine and thinking that it is for everybody? Well, when we vote, sometimes we put a caveat there to say with this or that or in these circumstances. But right now, this experience... I'm not going to tell anybody that I had a 2019 Crianza Rioja from Cune. I'm going to be like, yo, today I had a 1947 Grand Reserva Rioja. Something to write home about. Yeah. Bragging rights. Okay. All right. But I will say regular Reserva. Oh, okay. Whatever. Regular Reserva. But I I don't... mm. Come on. When are you going to taste the 1947 Rioja again? Yes, but at the same... Yes, (laughs) but... I don't know if I can get down with just the bragging rights of, of this. I don't actually, I actually liked that a lot more than I thought I would. Yeah. If you're going to have to go purchase one, there's only one option as a winner anyway, so. <laughs> All right, if I'm voting on the experience and the look of the bottle. I guess. Yeah. We're going with the 47. Yeah, yes. nice. But, you know, if I'm going for what you can buy at a reasonable price at the Leverett Co-op, I'm going to go for the Cunet <laughs> The Leverett Co-op doesn't just have, a, like, a, a hidden stash of Good the market. You should have put the bottle up there, like, behind the bo- uh, behind the counter so people can see it as they walk by. Oh, that would be nice. I, that's, well, that's another thing, too. It's fun to save fun bottles. We went back to the 1947 wine maybe half an hour after we opened it, and uh, it's better. It is, it's better. It is better. Still not good, though. I... I'm getting real close to liking this. I mean, can we talk about the fact just just how old this is? Like, Franco was literally in power when this wine was made. Oof. Two years after World mm, War II ended. Fascism I mean, tastes so nice. This <laughs> is you can taste so it on the palate. Yeah. Not to offend anyone born in 1947, but this wine is so old. How and old is it? <laughs> the fact that this isn't, like, toxically bad or burning our tongues off, not that that would actually happen, but, you know, I mean, the fact that there is some enjoyment to be found in this is such a testament to the quality of the wine when it was made. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, thank you to the Shay for allowing us to take thank over the green Shay. room. And uh, shameless plug, my children are in uh, like a million versions of The Tempest, the full uncut Shakespeare here for free this weekend. Shameless plug. A million versions? Well, no, I mean a million. They're going to do the perform. Oh. I'm going to watch <laughs> like, wow. The Tempest one at least four times this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for saving us all. It's appreciated. I like when we do the version that you sing, Kalisa, uh, at the day, end. One day that version will be better. And also, that one continued to get better the longer we let it yeah. have access to air. And Ken took it to Provisions, and Corey from Provisions thought it was great and fun. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. That, it's, you know, sometimes the things can surprise you. Air is good for everybody. Yeah. Ahead, Peter Mulvey joins us for Live Music Friday before you can see him this evening with his band, The Crumbling Beauties, at the Parlor Room in Northampton. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, offering solar options, energy security, and solutions for the local community. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. Welcome back to the Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Khalees Smith. It's Live Music Friday, which is something we've tried to institute since the very first week of our show almost a year ago. And our very first Live Music Friday guest makes his triumphant return this Live Music Friday. Peter Mulvey. Peter Mulvey spent the year 1989 busking on the streets of Dublin and hitchhiking to whatever gigs he could find. When he came back stateside, he spent a couple years gigging through the bars of his native Midwest before taking off for Boston, where he returned to subway busking and coffee houses. Small shows led to larger shows, 20 albums, one illustrated book, a TEDx talk, a decades-long association with the National Youth Science Camp, opening for people like Ani DeFranco, Greg Brown, Emmylou Harris, and more. Appearances on NPR, an annual autumn tour by Bicycle, hosting his own lamplighter sessions for years in Boston and in his native Wisconsin, and he returns to play for us with his band. The Crumbling Beauties are playing with you tonight. You've brought a crumbling beauty with you today, Peter Mulvey. He's yes. not crumbling. He's just Barry. We've just been having a nice chat with with Barry Rothman, who you play gramophone, Victrolas, and Edison cylinders. How do you play the gramophone? Is this true? <laughs> I do. He plays phonographs. I just I embellished a little bit, but he it's it's very hard to describe. You ha- kind of have to see it. There's record players and electronic uh, devices downstream from the record players and then microphones downstream from the electronic devices. And then that happens while the rest of us are playing, you know, instruments that you'd go to school to learn how to play. (laughs) I love that. It's like taking sampling and breaking it down technologically as far as we can go while still having it be sampling. Exactly. (laughs) Well, you also have a surprise record that is out today. That's true. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you. Is this song we're going to hear from that surprise record? As a matter of fact, it is. All right. Yes. What is it? Uh, This is called Escanaba Thursday. My Uncle Walter had an extra toe. My Uncle Walter had an extra toe. What else about me do you need to know? My Uncle Walter had 11 toes. Escanaba Thursday, the sleet, the snow. Escanaba Thursday in the sleet and the snow. Every downtown strip is a total show. Escanaba Thursday, the sleet, snow. (laughs) 
My second grade teacher was a schizophrenic nun. My second grade teacher was a schizophrenic nun. You've got to talk to Jesus if you want something done. My second grade teacher was a schizophrenic nun. See what I did there. If I ask nice, can I drive your Cadillac? If I ask nice, can I drive your Cadillac? If you ask nice, I might even give it back. But you got to ask nice, got to ask nice, got to uh 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 uh. I wrote this song so that I could go uh 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 uh. Trying to keep the flame alive Me, I'm just trying to keep the flame alive Give me some sugar, I'll give you a high five and Me, I'm just trying to, trying to Peter Mulvey from his brand new surprise album that uh, is out today, playing tonight at the Parlor Room in Northampton with the band The Crumbling Beauties. And that song sounds like it wants to have a band with it. It's gonna it be, does, doesn't it? It's going to be great. Yeah. It's great on its own. Oh, no, it totally is. No, Absolutely. I, I, even I wrote it on a steering wheel. I was driving in Escanaba, Michigan, and I wrote it and was thumping on I think I sent a recording to you, you know, that kind of wrote itself. And then, but yeah, yeah, it needs a band. <laughs> it needs this band. It needs phonographs. And we should mention it's Paul Kahansky on bass, Jason Smith on drums, uh, and as we mentioned before, Barry Rothman on some form of a crazy Edison cylinder or whatever, and James Rohr on the, yeah, keyboard. on the keyboards. Tell us how your crazy magic works, Barry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we want to hear about it, Barry. Yeah. Get into front of that microphone. I just make stuff up. <laughs> no plan is the plan. Yeah. I love that. Do you use old records like 78s and stuff for I have, you... but yeah, those break too easy. Hard to, hard <laughs> I mean, to fair travel with them. Yeah, yeah. And they're heavy. And they're heavy. Yeah, that's for sure. So tell us about this new album. It's a companion album, right? Uh, yeah, so, um, you know, I've been playing 20, 30 years, and people, you know, I make records usually with a band and a producer, and but people at the shows would say, do you, you know, you make do you have a record that's just what I heard? You and a guitar, because almost all my shows are solo. And so back in 2007, I, I, I figured our, people are actually asking me to make a record. You know, that's rare in this world. <laughs> and so I made a record called Notes from Elsewhere, and here it is 18 years later, and I have a bunch more records and a bunch more songs, and I, I've, it felt just like a good time to do a little bit of a retrospective, but being me, there's three new songs on it, because I, I don't want to look in one direction all the time, so I guess I'm looking forward and backward. So it's called More Notes from Elsewhere. That's <laughs> pretty good, huh? <laughs> That's how you know it's a companion album. Yeah. In my 70s, I'll be releasing a record called Yet Even more, more. <laughs> even more, still more. Right, uh, the jury's out. You're gonna have or, to, you're gonna have to stick with me as an audience. <laughs> hidden notes from elsewhere. Oh, I like that. exactly. All sorts of all like calls from afar. Um, how do you choose which song? Or it's the album in its entirety with some new stuff. Oh, so no, it's all the songs from the old records, but no band, no nothing, just me. Just you stripped down, sitting down and playing them. And uh, you know, honestly. 
uh, you just go like I went in, like I have so many songs. So I went and I probably played forty or fifty, and then whatever the ones that sort of took flight. Because songs are weird, you know that like they're like these skittish animals. Like you like sometimes you you get in and you have a real good day with a song and. Sometimes they run away from you. So that, that was my approach. Just, I don't know, what, what's alive today? <laughs> you know? well, That's the most accurate way I've heard anybody describe songwriting. It's so similar to the way that I write. Right. You just like, wait. Just like, oh, wait. No, 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 no. Don't leave. Oh, oh, no, no. That song's gone. That song's gone forever. Right. Oh, well. Right. Right. They, uh, it's if it, it's if you don't if you don't try to convince yourself that you're in control of the situation, it goes a lot better. Oh yes. Yeah. Yes. We're speaking with Peter Malvey, who's playing for us this live music Friday. He'll be at the Parlor Room tonight with a brand new album and with a band, The Crumbling Beauties. Let's take a quick break and we'll hear another song from Peter Malvey coming up in just a little bit. Sounds good. You're listening to the Fabulous Four One Three on eighty eight five NEPM. Welcome back to the Fabulous 413. It's Live Music Friday, and we are here with Peter Mulvey, who will be with his band, The Crumbling Beauties, at the Parlor Room in Northampton tonight. Let's hear another song, Peter Mulvey. Sure. This is funny. Uh, this is the other new song on that record. This is called Jesus Wants to Take Your Guns Away. Jesus wants to take your guns away. Jesus wants to take your guns away. I was talking to him just the other day And Jesus wants to take your guns away Jesus looked tired He said, Pete, I just don't get it Love could be enough for them If they would only let it But somehow they shoot people while they dance Or while they pray Yeesh, I kinda wanna take their guns away he said, all that I ever talked about was kindness. Well, now, and the poor, and bringing all the love that you could bring. More love, more. Tell me, how does someone go from what I said to what they say? Damn it, it's true. I totally want to take their guns away. Jesus calls me Pete. Which is weird because uh, mostly people call me Peter. Like only a couple of high school friends and Southerners call me Pete. But the thing is, you you can't. He's Jesus, you know. Like you just you can't be like, well, actually, Jesus, you know. It's he's hard to correct. Is where I'm going with this. Like we were we were having lunch at a at a hotel in Cleveland, and it was one of those hotels, like nice kind of Art Deco hotel that has the nice little restaurant down in it. And he just lit up a cigarette in the middle of the restaurant 2018 and like they're looking at him and he's looking back and he's just in his beige robes just smoking and they brought him an ashtray man he's jesus people you know he shook his head and tears welled in his eye so i put my arm around him i said jesus man don't cry i said i got this one i'll tell the world that i'll Blessed day, Jesus wants to take their guns away. So, Jesus wants to take your guns away. Jesus wants to take your guns away. 
was talking to him just the other day And Jesus wants to take your guns Oh Lord, he wants to take them and beat them into plowshares Jesus wants to take your guns Like everybody else, he just found out about bomb stocks Jesus wants to take... I mean, he's got a hunting rifle And in his father's house, there are many squirrels Jesus wants to take your guns away That is Peter Mulvey, who will be playing with his band at the Parlor Room in Northampton tonight. That is amazing. You know, Jesus also had another Peter, so that may be why he calls you Pete. Oh, I never thought of that. But, yeah, he's probably trying to keep it straight. Yeah, yeah for himself. Course. Right. Yeah. Oh, my God. Right. <laughs> of course. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> you can work that into the shtick if you need to. You don't even need to quote me. I no, give a no. shtick. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Speaking of shticks, yeah. um, balancing theater, like theatrics on stage and in your music, like where, how do you balance it as someone who's trying to get more comfortable on stage as being way out in front? Oh, wow. Um, I You know, poorly about a third of the time. Like that, I, I, how, do you, how do you balance... I think I just remind myself that you you really can't get hurt up there. You know, nothing that bad is going to happen to me. Although, you know, comedians have that, when it's going poorly, they say, they call it dying. Because it really does feel, right, when you're not? <laughs> yes. I don't know. I think I, I, I had a few major defeats early that helped. I opened for John Prine in a big, like, 3,000-seat venue in Galway in Ireland and, like, these are the rules. I was like 20, 22 years old or whatever, and I went up and sucked. Like, I was just awful. And um, that hurt. That <laughs> really hurt, you know. Like, I was so bad. Like, I went out into the crowd, and Irish people were coming up to me and going like, oh, well, that was very good. You know, you really, <laughs> oh, no. right. And I was like, it was oh, that bad? No. Right. And And so, like... But you know, whatever. Then, then, then there's the next gig. Like mm-hmm. that's the beauty of being sort of a minor leaguer, like I am. Like whatever. There's the bus and the next gig. The you know, like the next gig and the next gig and the next gig. So, but that's not very comforting. You ask me to no, give no, you no, some. No, it's okay. okay, good. No, it doesn't need to be comforting. It just needs to be truthful, and that's way more important. <laughs> okay. And like speaking of the next bus and next bus, like your whole first half of the year is all planned out. You don't I know. come back here for a couple of months, so tonight is one of the last opportunities to see you until I think like March, April, e in yeah, the area. Yeah, I'm and I'm trying to be way more selective about touring. I'm a parent now, but so I'm trying to just go out for four days at a time. Even if it means flying to Alaska and playing that night and three more and flying the hell home. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, uh, I, I what I am getting to do, and I'm real, really glad about this, is my friend and mentor, Chris Smither, is, you know, he's putting out a record um, to sort of mark this year. He was born in 1944, so you can do the math. <laughs> and... Um, and I get I get to open the release tours, which is great because uh, there's no real reason to do it other than to put a point on it all, you know. And and I get to sit in a car with him. I haven't I don't think we've done that for years. That's awesome. Peter Mulvey, local hero, playing at the Parlor Room in Northampton tonight with a brand new album and a band that'll be playing with. Thanks so much for playing Live Music Friday for the second time. 
Oh, thank you. That's right. I was the very first one. You sure were. Oh, God. Thank well, you. Well, Monday we got a big celebration of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. with Usman Power Green, as well as one of the filmmakers behind the Till movie. I'm Monty Belmonte. I'm Clay Smith. We'll talk to you on Monday on the Fabulous 413.